are, are we ready? Ooh, hold on, hold on, hold on. See, I'm I knew it. I knew, Can I knew you pa- hear the printing in the background? Yes. Shit. <laughs> I really can't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> what are you printing, Paul? A coupon. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> printing Leviticus. <laughs> it's almost done. <laughs> Let me know if you ever need to get remarried. You'd come in handy at my house. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he knows his way around a man. So, uh, you know. I do. He can uh, he, he can meet all your needs. <laughs> well, I know Please. my way around a man, maybe not into a man. <laughs> <laughs> Paula Ponte, pleasure bot. That's right. He is. He is. Oh, yeah. Many men know their way into you. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't hit his ragey red button. Yeah, no joke. Can you still hear it? I, I, I couldn't, couldn't hear it, it to begin with. No, I can't then why are we anything. stopping? Let's do it. Because uh. we were messing with you, man. Whatever. Okay. Your mom. Your mom? No. <laughs> <laughs> Be the podcast. Be the Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is the thing that should not be. And this is Tim. And I'm the only amazing one, apparently. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to ask you guys the same question that was asked of me the moment I walked into the comic shop this week. Ready? Are you, are you prepared? Yes, I swallowed. Why aren't you wearing any pants? <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't buy Brigade, but I know somebody who did. <laughs> which Ugh. one is which one is more attractive, Corey Feldman or Corey Haim? Right now, <laughs> <laughs> does it matter? <laughs> it does matter. It These does. are important questions. Mm-hmm. Wayne, I don't even know what either of them look like. I'll no, just fail, Feldman. fail. <laughs> Jonathan. Well, I've been accused of uh, looking a little bit like Corey Haim, so I'm going to go with Feldman. <laughs> <laughs> Paul? I'm going to go with the one who's live. Which so, is Feldman. Uh, Feldman, yeah. And uh, Tim? I feel like I'm on an episode of Kicked in the Dice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> I would go with Corey Feldman because maybe I can get to see his wife if I'm looking at him. Okay, all right. His wife is hot. So the decision here at Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends is Feldman. Is that how you answered at your comic shop? No, I answered Haim. I, and, and I answered Haim because even though he's dead, I think you're more likely to catch something from Feldman. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Good to know. So uh, Dude, we talk about important things here at Funny yeah, Books with Aaron. Well, now that we're violated, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so Wayne, talk to us about your movie going experience. All right. So I got a text from my wife yesterday saying she wanted to go out. To, I guess it was Thursday that she wanted to go out and see Sorcerer's Apprentice. This so is I'm rolling. Be a long story, isn't it? No, it's not. 
So I'm rolling my eyes at that, thinking I really don't want to see this movie. All the previews look really bad. So as we're watching this, they have uh, the typical Jedi mind trick scene where he's like, you don't need to see my whatever. And as if that wasn't bad enough to be groan-inducing, the character next to him goes, and these are not the droids you are looking for. Like, your audience is so stupid, they're not going to get the reference to the joke you're just trying to throw out there. It's always funnier when you explain the joke. (laughs) It is is the Nicolas Cage audience, so I can understand. And then, you know the scene from Fantasia where there's the dancing brooms and the water and the buckets? and Yeah, that scene's in there. I don't mean an homage to the scene. I mean, they play the Fantasia music. They're dancing around the exact same way. He's making the exact same hand gestures Mickey Mouse does. He's wearing big ears for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) They took the entire scene and threw that into this movie. And I don't think I have seen a movie that's been more predictable than this in years. It. uh, Why doesn't Nicolas Cage get to keep making family movies? I was going to say that, you know, when I when, he, when you're going to explain your movie going, I thought that you were going to give it the Chris Mays approach, and I thought I had time to go make tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you kept it down. Hey, just because so, I sat there, the movie doesn't mean anyone else has to hear everything about it. Thank you. <laughs> so, predictable, and uh, I'm going to guess just not good, huh? Yeah, not, not good. Bad acting, bad stories, bad special effects. I, I don't really have anything positive to say about it other than Nicolas Cage actually wasn't the problem with this movie. You know, I can't think of a good movie he's been in in years. Con Air. I can't. <laughs> yeah, <treasure>. Con Air. <laughs> yeah, but no. I mean, wasn't that like 10 years ago? Con Air was a long time ago. I think that that's going like to be more than – ago. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I can't think I of anything in, in recent memory that Nicolas Cage has done that I thought was worth it. Uh, the, uh, the Wicker Man, because he died. <laughs> a wicker man no no <laughs> i don't know i i like national treasure not the second I, one but the first one was okay i really like the national treasure films i'm gonna go with national treasure for a thousand yeah i like the first one i dislike the second one i did not see the second one due to my distaste for the first one he was in an astro boy he was in the astro boy movie that was a pretty good flick yeah he was also responsible for producing that awful dresden files tv show I didn't hate that show, but I never read the books. I loved that show, and so did my wife. We didn't read the books until afterwards, though. That's what got us interested in the books. You know, if Luke Cage keeps hearing you talk bad about his brother, he's going to beat you down. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that right so now. So no one's going to defend Ghost Rider? No, hell no. 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 <laughs> Actually, surprised no one's throwing Kick-Ass out there. I mean, I was hugely disappointed in it, but I know a lot of people did like it. I haven't seen it. Sucks. That didn't look like it was worth saying. It's balls. See Hot Tub Time Machine instead. That's just a reference to every film. Isn't Nicolas Cage in that? No, but does he need to be? (laughs) (laughs) You got John Cusack and Chevy Chase. That's all you need. Oh, John Cusack. You know what movie I finally got around to seeing this week? Zombieland. I still haven't got around to seeing it. I want to see it this week. I thought that was great. I really enjoyed Zombieland. That was good. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've cared about anything Woody Harrelson did. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I dug it. You know, and I, I, it was kind of funny because uh, I, I could see Woody Harrelson playing that role. You know, because he did. <laughs> 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 but also uh, McConaughey, I think, could have played that role well. 
Yeah. Yeah, but Matthew McConaughey is lame. <laughs> well, but you know, I, I, honestly, so is Woody Harrelson. But you know, well, I, no, uh, I, you shut your filthy mouth, Paul. <laughs> 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 he was awesome in that movie. Well, he yeah, was awesome that in, movie. in that movie. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, Nick, Nick Cage is currently out. making six movies right now. They're oh. said to come out through the next couple of years. I don't understand how he gets work. You know, he was going to be Superman at one point. He would have been the I first Superman ever. <laughs> that was when Tim Burton was going to do the movie. Uh, yep. You know, as bad as Superman Returns turned out, I don't know that he could have done worse. Oh, yeah, yeah. he could have. I don't know. Nick Cage's Superman would have been bad. But the one we got was bad. Superman Returns wasn't an awful film. It just wasn't a good film. Whereas I think uh, Nicolas Cage as Superman would have been awful. I just want to throw something out there. Yeah. Kind of like I don't like the Christopher Reeve Superman movies either. Paul, good for you, Paul. Paul, why? Why do you have to say things like that? I don't like a single one of them. I think we need to to take your card back. Yeah, I'm sorry. Now let's bash old Star Trek movies too. I will end this podcast right now. (laughs) Let's be honest. The Star Trek movies kind of make it easy because that first one. See, I like (laughs) it. And the third one. Paul. I gotta say, I'm with Paul here on that one. I will hop in my car, drive to Virginia, and stab you in your whore mouth. That's what I would do. <laughs> what the hell is up with my mouth today? <laughs> Filthy <laughs> whore mouth. <laughs> okay, look, clearly we're not going to agree on film, so maybe that's why this is a comic book podcast. Well, maybe we should move into Brightest Day. Or... No, that was a good that was that was a good transition. I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good transition. Now we need to talk about it and ruin how good the transition was. We can't have good transitions around here. When I used to hear other podcasts wank behind the curtain about transition. I used to think these guys are lame, but it's kind of funny now. Yeah, well, yeah. But I think our audience <laughs> thinks it's dumb. Oh yeah, they well, think it's just as awesome as we do. <laughs> well, this is why we can't have nice transitions. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I had a question, but I'll save it for the next time we talk about movies. Paul, do you want to ask your question? No. Let's talk did about you bar- Brightest Day. Did you bar- I didn't already read any Brightest Day books. I'm going to shut up for the next time. Since, Ten minutes. Since you spoiled the transition, would you like to go ahead and ask your question? People want to know. It doesn't feel natural now. It's okay. It was always unnatural, Paul. <laughs> Paul, do you have anything to share? No, I'm going to sit in the corner and cut myself while you guys talk about Brightest Day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Booster Gold number 34 came out this week. Wayne and I read that one. This book had the worst art of any book that I picked up this week and probably in the last month. You say that, and I I had a similar reaction, but it was only on certain pages. It was the pages that Keith Giffen drew. drew. And I got to tell you, I almost didn't finish reading it. I I actually had to stop and come back to it the next day because I didn't, didn't care for the story, but the art was just misshapen faces that don't look human. Yeah, pages two, three, and four were drawn by Keith Giffen, and then pages, uh, the very last page. The very last page, definitely. Everything that his sister Michelle was on was drawn really badly. Yeah. The pages in in between that were drawn by Chris Batista were really nice. But I, yeah, and that's what you. was throwing me. I didn't realize there were two artists when I was looking through it. Yeah. It's just like, how are they getting Booster right on this page? But you flip back and he's misshapen, not human. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 I was reading this last night, and I was like, oh, God, this I, I don't know if I can get through this. And, and I was feeling bad because I'd actually recommended Booster to Jonathan. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to hear about this. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, Jonathan, but Jonathan didn't take your advice. That's right. Thank God. Because, you know, I liked the pages between Gif- Giffen's artwork, but oh, my Lord, I couldn't stand his artwork. You know, and it's frustrating because this book was one of DC's best books being yeah. printed consistently. And ever since Dan Jurgens has left, the title has been steadily going downhill. Well, and until you get this abortion that is horrible, horrible, non-human looking art. Well, and, and I think the problem with the book is they're tying it in too closely with Brightest Day, even though it doesn't have a Brightest Day banner on it. Um, it's t- tied too closely to uh, Justice League Generation Lost. And what I was enjoying was how separate – booster was from the rest of what was going on in current current continuity he was spending his time in the past and i i miss that i mean you know we're what four issues out from where uh jurgens left off and i it really feels like a very different book now yeah and which is very unfortunate because the book that it was like i said was one of the best books dc was publishing yeah, i agree i agree and I, I i'm gonna probably give it one more issue uh so, uh, Jonathan, don't bother picking this one up. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm not even sure if it's getting one more at this point. Yeah, I was I was really displeased with this book. Wow. Hey, DC Comics, um, Booster Gold 35, quote for the cover. This book used to be good. Now it's an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be on the trade paperback for that one, Paul. <laughs> you never know. Justice League Generation Lost. Uh, again, Wayne and I were the ones who read that one. Now, I r- actually read four and five back to back. And, you know, we had been saying that every other issue of uh, Generation Lost appeared to be good. And I actually thought four and five were both pretty good books. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what happened in four, but I, I really enjoyed five this week. So Four was the fight with the uh, Rocket Reds. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed that one, too. So I guess they finally <laughs> broke in this every other issue. Go ahead and do it, Jonathan. You know you want to. Red Rocket. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it feels like the book's actually going somewhere now. Uh, and that, that'll be the big thing that I'll say about it is that you know it feels like it's actually got a direction. Um, and it, it five issues in, it finally feels like the heroes aren't being led around by the nose anymore. So, And I, I thought the last page was pretty awesome. So um, thumbs up on uh, Generation Lost. Wow. Yep. That's surprising. Because uh, you guys have been kind of – well, don't you fluctuate every other issue? Yeah, and that, yeah. That's, that's what – you know. it seemed like every other issue was good. So it was the even number issues, issues that – or I guess the – yeah, even even numbers? Anyway, it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's either even or odd. Yeah, it's, you pick one. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the – it, it was inconsistent. And so with four and five, I mean they both read very strongly together. Um, huh. And the characters just seem to kind of be gelling. It, but you know, it's a little unforgivable to me to take five issues to get your stuff together. You know, it, it shouldn't take that long. It shouldn't take, you know, what are we paying three dollars a book on these things? It shouldn't take fifteen dollars for you to get to your story. Good point. You know. Yep. Moving from the brightest day of the DC universe to the darkest corners of the Marvel universe, we have our second Shadowland update this week. Yeah, well, Dare some Dare of Dare. you do. <laughs> <laughs> I am so annoyed. I went to multiple shops, and I thought Daredevil was supposed to come out, and I look for it at both shops, and they don't have it. I I guess nobody was you know ordering it because nobody was reading Daredevil before Shadowland. 
Yeah, they <laughs> turned a blind eye to Wayne. There you go. <laughs> that was funny. Wow. I caught it. <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted it, Tim. <laughs> well, you're selling. We're not buying. And apparently I'm not buying Daredevil number 508 either because it's not on the shelf. Which is your problem. Well, you really missed out. I actually out. enjoyed this. Yeah, you missed out. I, I have to say, I enjoyed Daredevil 508 more than I enjoyed Shadowland number one. Wow. Because that was my book of the week last week with Shadowland, and I was amazed by that because I'm normally not a Daredevil fan. I think well, if you were, I think if you were a fan of this book, this was a good book. But for me, I was buying it to tie into Shadowland. I'm not sure there was enough tie-in for me to care. And I'm not saying this was a bad book, but I'm, but I'm saying that for somebody who's not a fan of the character, I'm not sure that it gave me enough to tie into the story. Now that remains to be seen because the story's not you know, unf- completely unfolded yet. But well, Tim, I don't know if I'm staying on board. Tim, I'm calling bullshit on you. That's what I'm what? doing. Uh, because you know this book picks up immediately where Shadowland number one leaves off. We're you calling know, shenanigans. Yeah, I, no, but we're bullshit. That's what I mean. Yeah. Bullshit, Tim. Ball Tim's just trying to make me feel better while you two are <laughs> pouring salt in the wound of me not being able to buy this book. No, this book very much felt like Siege when you were reading Thor and you were dealing with the secondary characters for half the book. And once I got past that, I, there was a scene where you would you noticed a couple of story beats, but they weren't story beats that I felt like I needed. That's but just I, me, I guess. But, but I, I think the important thing about this book, and, and and I appreciate the distinction you know you're trying to make, you know, and the comparison you're trying to make between it and, and the siege books. But the difference is, is that the the supporting characters aren't off doing their own thing. They're all talking about the changes that they've seen in Daredevil, you know, the changes they've seen in Matt Murdock, and you know. Is he going to be able to, you know, some of them are going, well, you know, he's always having a crisis, you know, and others are going, yeah, this is this is pretty bad stuff. Um, I, I, I think that you're seeing the character through their eyes. And I think that's the, the importance of this book in particular. So did you enjoy it, Aaron? You know, I did. I had a problem with one page and, and, right. and it, it really made me uncomfortable. Um, and that is the lynching scene um, where, you know, uh, Daredevil and his and his ninjas, you know, take up the street punks and then string them up uh, upside down with a banner that hung thief. And I mean, that is straight out of, you know, deep south 1960s uh, lynchings. And I just really made me uncomfortable. And it doesn't help that these are all black guys that they strung up. Um, I, I it made me awfully uncomfortable. I'm, you know, maybe that's white man's guilt. But uh, man, I, that made me uncomfortable in this book. But maybe that was the point of it, and maybe it was. Know? Maybe it was. I mean, Daredevil's evil, you know. And and I, and I agree. And it, you know, it just for me, it was an image that that made the book less fun for me. Mm. Yeah, it's I, Shadowland, I, Aaron. It's not supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't. This isn't brightest day. <laughs> the point. Yeah. I, I did enjoy the book. Um, and in fact, I really dug the art. Oh yeah, I thought the art was great. No, I. Uh, it was very dark, you yeah. know. I, I liked the art in Shadowland number one, but it wasn't perfect. You know, there were there were still some awkward poses and things like that. I really enjoyed the art in this issue, and that's Roberto De La Torre, yeah, who's providing you the art. And the the art is great, and very cinematic shots, very cinematic pages uh, in the story. Yeah. So, you so know, if they don't uh, reprint unless, this, am I going to be missing anything going into Shadowland number two? No. Yes. 
Uh, I don't know. We have to see the channel in number two. But, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I know Tim says that nothing happens in this issue, but I feel like a lot of happens, at least to the supporting cast. Yeah. I think Shadowland, the series, is going to focus on the heroes and how they deal with Daredevil, whereas the Daredevil series is going to focus on characters like Foggy Nelson and his supporting cast and how they deal with him. So, I don't know. That, that, that page with Matt Murdock opposite the Shadowland checklist seemed to be an important page to me. Oh, that's that a good irritated point. me. I, and I guess that's just because I was hoping it would go a different direction. I was really hoping that it wasn't – because that page in particular makes it seem like he's possessed – Yes. yes. And I was kind of hoping that it was more of a change of his personal philosophy that yeah, was kind of that was kind of, you know, pushed upon him by the by the cult instead of like a possession. Right. This is this is really interesting because uh this is what pushed me away from the book. Uh, if you guys remember back when I was reading Daredevil, that was when he had first uh taken control of the hand and I was talking about how awesome it was, but then it was sort of fluctuating from book to book where you didn't know like what direction they were going to go with him, mm-hmm. which I guess is, you know, culminating here. But it's frustrating to, because I wanted it just to be like Daredevil making a choice and going a very dark route with the well, character. Yeah. I have to admit, that's kind of what I was hoping for also. I mean, you know, the fact that he's possessed kind of shows you how Shadowland's going to end. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,. You know, you, you know he's going to be redeemed and he's going to be fine, and all that crap. But you know, it's a uh, so that's a little disappointing. I, I wish if that was going to be the revelation, I wish they hadn't done it on a, a week after the storyline started. Right. You know, I wish they had revealed that in month four or something. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I guess it was the only way to to redeem the character without actually killing him by the end. It's voodoo. What's wrong, with, magic. what's wrong with putting him on the raft for a couple months and having a couple issues dealing with him in prison before he finally gets, you know, some kind of, you know, secondary assignment to work off his, you know, crime? That would be much cooler than or why Iron can't Man he just and and Captain America giving him his red costume back and Matt being all sheepish, like I'm sorry for little evil Tokyo. Personally, I'd like to see Marvel actually just have some balls and lead to the character having a fall. I yeah. mean, this story yeah. would be the perfect build-up. It'd be the perfect end to the character. Leave him gone for a while. I don't. His sales aren't that high compared to some of the other books. You know, bring him back at some point. I'm sure the sales will shoot up when you do that. But have some balls and just have the character fall. I, and I just I, want to I don't say. Know. Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. I, I like. Um, I know we've mentioned this before. But, you know, Marvel needs some villains. They need villains in a big, bad way. Not a whole lot around anymore. Yeah, and how about a villain that knows almost everyone's secret identity and has fought alongside him and knows their fighting styles? Yes. I just want to say, Daredevil has... I mean, I know none of us are regular readers of Daredevil. But, I mean, he he did kind of spend a year in prison. And Iron Fist took over the Daredevil mantle while he was in prison. Yeah, those are good stories. Um. You know, so I, I think they were trying to avoid a, a recurrence of that storyline because he has fallen. You know, he's been to prison. Someone's taken his spot, and those were good stories. Um, you know, I think this was, you know, Daredevil's kind of always doing something bad. <laughs> I mean, the guy always kind of screws up. So I think this is just their attempt at giving him a screw up, you know, on a grand scale without actually making him an irredeemable character. I'm okay with avoiding a story they told before. I just don't like a get-out-of-jail-free card, and that's what I feel like is happening. 
Well, I think everything's – you know, there's so many get-out-of-jail-free cards in this. You know, Bullseye's dead, right? But it's the hand. The hand kills people and then brings them back to life. So I'm pretty positive Bullseye is going to be brought back, you know, as under the possession of the hand. <laughs> and maybe he'll be the head of the hand after the storyline ends. You know, Daredevil will be ousted and Bullseye will be the head of the hand. That kind of seems like a, it could be a way the storyline goes. Don't defend it, Paul. I like no. Shadowland. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, be- the best way the story could go is just a complete fall for Matt Murdock. And maybe, you know, maybe sales on Daredevil aren't that great. And this would be a great way to wrap up that, that book. And uh, and then he becomes a villain. And he doesn't have to go to prison because he's the leader of the hand. No, you know? I have to say, I like that. I mean, that that would be a great way to end it. But I just don't see it happening that way. Yeah, me neither. Oh, well. Tiny, tiny balls, Marvel. Tiny balls. <laughs> So, from the dark streets of Hell's Kitchen, we move over to Gotham City. Am I doing good with my transitions today? The dark writings of Graham Morrison. <laughs> yeah, the well, dark we writings. don't all move over there, Paul. You're the only one reading it. That's true. I am the only one who read Batman 701, which is... Sucker! <laughs> um, Batman 701 and issue 702 are the missing chapter of Batman R.I.P., um, I don't know. Uh, nobody on the podcast knows this because they don't read that shit. Um, Batman R.I.P. ended. I read Batman R.I.P. and I hated it. Yeah, I did too. But you know, it ended, and you know, everyone was like, "Okay, so that's the death of Batman." And then it's like, "No, no, he's still in Final Crisis, and then he dies there." So basically, these two books are the missing chapter of what happened between Batman R.I.P. and how he got into Final Crisis. And, you know, I have to admit, I, 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 I enjoyed this book. I did enjoy Batman 701. Oh. I know, despite it being written by Grant Morrison, Tony Daniels does a hell of a job on the art in this book, which is kind of surprising because his art's been kind of flaky lately. But I, I think this does, you know, because that frustrated the hell out of me. That there was no explanation of how Batman got captured by Darkseid in Final Crisis and any of that. Um, and this actually gives that explanation. And uh, you know, it, I, I, I like that about it. Okay, so, Paul, you've given a positive review to a Grant Morrison book two weeks in a row now. Who are you and what have you done with the real Paul? It's yeah, like a Manchurian candidate. I don't know what's going on. Are you really <laughs> Grant Morrison? I am. I am. I uh, wait. Isn't he British? I have. To, I have to have a British accent. Uh, cheers. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really the you. Best Paul. accent ever, <laughs> Paul. If you if you come to the next Fear of the Con, you need to be you need to be rocking rocking that British accent in a fantasy <laughs> game. <laughs> a bowler hat, <laughs> mustache. Uh, I, 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 I really did like Batman 701. I, I hate to say it, but I, I this is probably not going to be, unless he completely screws up the next couple of issues, which is very possible. Uh, this may not be the last time I give a Grant Morrison book a decent review. Just warning you guys. Paul, it's just a waste of time. It's, it's only a matter of time before Bruce Wayne has half bat, half human babies. Like a <laughs> nest of them. 
Well, on the bright side of things, it sounds like they've made announcements for a, a bunch of Batman books, and anyone who's been checking out ideologyofmadness.com will be able to see how pissed off I am that they announced another <laughs> new ongoing Batman series, as if we don't have enough already. Um, so, you know, but none of them are written by Grant Morrison, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. So. I'm happy I might have a Teen Titan bunny. This is going to be great. <laughs> Just to clarify, he said buddy, not bunny. I will not be <laughs> you know, it's Teen Titan Bunny. <laughs> the funny thing is what uh, what Tim's referring to there is Paul sent out a tweet about how you know he had this whole list of reasons why he was thinking about getting Teen Titans. And I'm reading the list and I'm basically checking off, that's why I don't want to read it, that's why I don't want to read it, that's why I don't want to read it. <laughs> Teen Titans is going to be written by J.T. Cruel, um, starting I think in October, and they're going back to the you know the Teen Titans team that I like with Superboy, Connor Superboy, and Wonder Girl and all them. Um, but they're bringing Damian Wayne into the mix. I think it would be interesting because I've liked Damian Wayne's character the way they've been showing him the last couple of months. So I, I I'm interested in seeing that team dynamic. So I will give it an issue. I will be Tim Ty- Tim's Teen Titans buddy for one issue Sweet. and uh, see how it goes the from there. The only book that I've liked Damian Wayne in was I, – I admitted last week I really enjoyed his character in the last issue of Red Robin. I thought that was very well done. Other than that, I've still hated the character every time I've seen him. I can't hear only- you say that and not think of Damon Wayne's. You can't – don't be hating on friend of the podcast, JT Cruel Wayne. He will rock it. I have no problem with JT Cruel. I just hate Damian Wayne. He has a cool last name. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Since there's no possible way to transition from Gotham City to space, let's just talk about the Thanos Imperative number two. Yeah. Fata- Someone skilled at transitions could do it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's remedial. Yeah, I'm doing okay. All kinds of good blowing up in uh, Thanos Imperative number two. Be sure and check out our interview with uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, which is out there on our new Comic Book Day interviews from uh, this prior Wednesday. Um, I, I thought that was, a lot, that, was that uh, interview was a lot of fun, so be sure and check that out. I uh, I wasn't going to pick up Thanos Imperative number two um, until you recommended it. I didn't hit the comic shop until yesterday, so mm-hmm. I picked it up, and uh, damn, this book was awesome. I told you it really was. You know, well, I, I really liked the first issue, but I was like, oh, I'll just wait till the trade or something. But mm-hmm. no, this it was really, really good. Yeah, I, I really dug it. Tagging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I was so into it. As not many comics have moments that you know where I'm laughing out loud or like, yeah, you know, like this. This had it, especially uh, spoiler <laughs> when. Uh, uh, Galactus joins the fight mm-hmm. with the people with the other big dudes. I don't know <laughs> the Celestials. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I that's what they like, were. Yeah, I, I had no idea who those guys were, but I was like, they're big and they're awesome. Let's do this. Like I was, <laughs> I was in. I was in for this issue, and I just I rode the wave. It was awesome. Well, and that last scene where uh, the Galactus engine emerges out of the out of the fault. Oh yeah. This book is just a lot of cool stuff happening, stuff blowing up. I mean, 
this is a summer blockbuster movie. You know, it's just it's big, it's oversized, crazy stuff happens. I, I just I'm thoroughly enjoying this. This is just fun from beginning to end, and lots of Rocket Raccoon. My, my, yeah, see, that's my issue with the book. I don't like the way that Rocket Raccoon is drawn. I don't know. He, he just looks a little too much like a real raccoon. He's, he's too he's too raccoony for you. He's too raccoony. I mean, you know, real raccoons aren't cute. They're like rabies infested. So let me see if I got this right. You're hating on the coons. No wonder you like Shadowland. <laughs> just wrong. Uh, I I really I, I really enjoyed. It. I, I enjoyed the way uh, Rocket Raccoon is depicted. I also en- enjoyed the way uh, Cosmo was depicted. Yeah. You know the the, the Soviet uh, space. Oh, dunk. Uh, a, l- a little something here. Um, but I had sort of a downer moment of the book when uh, when Cosmo shuts off uh, or makes the uh, the Cthulhu Hulk like yeah. stroke out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like I'm like ah, I just feel like now anytime the real Hulk goes crazy and all the heroes go up against him, I'll be like, why don't they just bring in Cosmo to stroke <laughs> him out? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, it's gonna be the one. It's gonna be the one that I'm gonna have to ask myself from here on out. They can't do That's things tough. like that. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you know the last page of the last issue was the the reveal of the Cancerverse defenders, right? And the Guardians of the Galaxy takes them out in about three pages. Yeah. And, and, you know, because they come from the Cancerverse where there is no death, you know, they instantly come back to life. Which kind of surprised me that the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, killed them. Not just incapacitated them. They tore off their heads. They kicked their ass all over the place. So they come back to life. And then Thanos just vaporizes them all oh the next yeah that was awesome like when <laughs> when thanos was like get it shows thanos like starting to get up i was like yeah it's on now because i was really i was sort of like kind of bummed out i was like i hope he's not all like you know unconscious and stuff through most of the series like like that would sort of suck it's like oh thanos is in the cancerverse and then he's like oh and you're like no wait i want to see thanos do Thanosian stuff. So <laughs> Thanosian <laughs> stuff. Well, so, I love that when the when the Cancerverse defenders come back, they come back even more monstrous. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you know, suddenly uh, you know, they've got the fish heads and all the razor teeth and all that kind of fun stuff and uh I just I just love that. I just, it's a very nice horrific kind of book. Photography. So, I have a theory yeah. about Galactus. Did did Stanley make Galactus? Yes. Okay. Yes. okay. I feel like Stanley and Jack Kirby, I should say, because I think Galactus is kind of lame to be honest. But I, I think that at some point Stanley got scared by the editor in chief, and he's like, "I'm going to draw somebody bigger than everybody that just terrorizes and eats." That's that's my opinion on Galactus. Galactus is Stanley's editor in chief complaining about where's my third page. <laughs> so that was a theory or a comment? That's a theory. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, Speaking of Galactus, Aaron was talking about the Celestials. I'm like, who are those people? Are there Galacti? Is that the plural <laughs> of Galactus? But Celestials, yeah, that makes sense now. Well, and I think that they're somehow – I don't think they're actually Celestials proper. They are like – they were there at the same moment that Galactus was created, but I don't think that they're actually the the same Celestial beings. I, I recall the, the, the woman character, who I find kind of interesting because she's standing there with her hands on her hips, <laughs> you know, as all these things are coming out of the fault. But uh, 
they were they were all had their origin at the same time. Ah, well, they're pretty cool. The Galacti. <laughs> the um, now the uh, that Galactus engine. Have we seen that before? No, sir. I was going to ask that. No. Okay. Oh, okay. No, that's because they knew the name of it immediately. So I was like, uh, Silver Surfer did. He's like, it's a Galactus engine. I'm like, do do we know what that is? Because <laughs> it, yeah. it looks like a train with Galactus's face. Well, he says that he can hear a foul name being chanted on the solar winds, a blasphemy, a heresy, the Galactus engine. So Galactus so, pulls up in a 67 Chevy? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Just like that, the Winchester brothers in Supernatural. And that mother is tricked out. I hope I hope after this is all said and done, Galactus keeps it so you just see him riding around through space. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Ooh, and in the movie, Nicolas Cage could play him. Just putting that out there. <laughs> put it put it away, Paul. Put, put it, it away. away. <laughs> I hear that quite often anyway. But you know what did get put away this week? Second coming. I guess no one was guessing that, so I'm just gonna tell you. Second it coming didn't get ended put in this my pull box. <laughs> yeah, uh, poor sorry about that, Jonathan. Do you want to take your headphones off so we can chat about it? No, I'll, I'll just act like I read the book. Let's do this. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get four different stories from. I guess I don't know if they're at least they're the four writers of the the main X Men books, other than um, Victor Gishler. Um, I don't know if they're the the, the regular artists as well. And so uh, four little vignettes, I guess, um, of no real action, but basically setting up what's coming next for all of the main characters, like the New Mutants, Hope, Cyclops, and um, Emma Frost, and uh, X-Force in particular is probably the biggest one of the book. So uh, what would you guys think? I have to say, I really don't like this having multiple artists in a book. The art was all good. I had no problem with any of the art in here. But Hope has like four or five different hair colors throughout the course of the book. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they need to just be consistent with with the title. Having four different creative teams writing the same book that's not broken up into four stories, it bothers me. Well, that, I mean, the hair color's on the colorist, Wayne. Well, yeah. yeah. The colorist is part of the artistic team, Tim. <laughs> School. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just gonna well, to be title. to be fair, Face. I thought the let I thought the lettering was pretty consistent. There is no lettering in this yeah, book. It's a silent issue. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Very consistent. <laughs> yeah, I do wish they would have named the book uh, Sec- X Men Second Coming Epilogue instead of Number Two, because this really was the epilogue. I mean, it was it's a it was a good book. I really enjoyed it, but. I don't consider this the finale. The last issue of X Force, where everything actually happened, that was the finale. This is an epilogue, not yeah, a finale. That's a good point. Cyclops almost had a moment, Jonathan. I'm just going to tell you right now. It was almost what kind a moment. Of moment? He, he almost cried. Yeah. Actually, he did son. cry, but. He did cry. Yeah. You know, oh. I, I. There was. They have the, um, the funeral for Cable. And for those who picked it up, I just want you to open up to the two page spread. Okay. All right. So they show everyone standing around the coffin. And right in front, they have this weird-looking purple character with big eyes staring at the reader. (laughs) And I'm like, that just seems oddly placed. I'm, I'm like, uncomfortable. It's like this nice – 
pretty picture. Everyone's sad. Everyone's head tilted down, except this one purple character with big eyes who's staring at the writer. Oh, I'm yeah. glad I don't have this issue because I, what I'm picturing in my head looks hilarious. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Thanks, Paul. Seriously, it freaked me out. I was like, I didn't notice it until you just pointed it out, but you're totally right. <laughs> She's, this character is the only one not facing the coffin. She's just looking at the reader. Like, I That's because Namer just grabbed her ass and she doesn't know how to react. <laughs> yeah, he goosed her. Yeah, it was, uh, it, that was interesting. Um, but I mean, I, I thought it was a good book. It, it really was more of an epilogue. You know, it says, you know, the new mutants get some prosthetic parts. Everyone's angry at Hope. They're setting up for Magneto and Hope to have some type of relationship. Um, Cyclops and Emma are starting to argue. Ooh. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, he, he basically was like, shut up um, to her. Storm and Wolverine have their falling out over X-Force. Yeah, they have Ooh, a, a yeah. falling out. Um, it shows that hope something's up with hope. You know, the Phoenix is, uh, it's not just the Phoenix force. It's basically, she can do anything, any mutant, any living mutant could. And she just happens to be able to do the Phoenix force, which makes you think that, you know, somewhere someone living has the Phoenix force right now. I really Um, wish her name was Mary Sue. That's not the, the hope. That's not the hope for mutant kind. That's the death of mutant kind. Now people want to kill mutants even more. Like if we ah, kill, but mutants, the hope for mutant kind comes on the last page, Jonathan. Oh yeah, it did. I know. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. What happened again? <laughs> five new, Cerebro picks five up. Five new mutants show up. Ooh. Yeah. yeah just blips, blips on the earth. No idea who they are. Yeah. Couple of big events. You know, there's that. There's the the, the phoenix scene where hope is standing around a campfire. And Emma Frost sees her, and the campfire turns into the phoenix. Hope looks at her, smiles, and says, "Well then, little spirit, prepare." Like, yep. And the phoenix, know. the phoenix face comes out of Hope's hand in fire as well. Yeah, so that was interesting. And then there was the reveal of the new X Force team, um, which uh-huh. you know, Cyclops disbanded X Force, and Wolverine basically says, "Well, screw you, I'm going to have my own X Force team." And so they, there's a new X Force team, which you know. Makes even less sense than the last one, but I like the look of it. I but mean, the last, I pick the up the last next one issue made the last one made perfect sense. Well, this one is you've got um, is it Weapon Zero, Agent Zero, the guy who's Ooh. dressed in all white. I have oh, no idea. Who the the, the Grant Morrison guy. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Oh. Um, Archangel, Psylocke, Deadpool, Wolverine. Oh. See, I like the idea of having Psylocke and Archangel in a title together because I used to love their relationship before they broke them up, and I'm kind of hoping that develops again. I thought those two were a great couple back in the late night, I guess early '90s, before Grant Morrison stepped in. I'll put it that way. I mean, I guess yeah. my point, my problem with it is Deadpool. I mean, that's my problem with the yeah, team. I have a problem. Yeah. with Deadpool. I, I have no I think that Archangel and Psylocke are the only good choices for that team. But at the same time, I don't – like Archangel being on that team sort of takes away the point of him being on the first team. Because, I mean, is X-Force going to be doing the same stuff, like killing people and stuff? Well, no, Except because there's a, there's, knowing this time. there's a scene where Wolverine tells Laura that she's off the team, and it's not going to be the same. Uh, well, the, then Archangel being on makes no point. Like, like – 
Coast or Coast <laughs> Yost and Kyle specifically put Archangel on there to show his dark killing nature to put him on a team where he doesn't kill now, and it's in fact it's the, it's the same name team X Force. Oh no, I get the impression this no. team is still going to this team is still going to kill, especially yeah, with this lineup. They, they're going to continue killing. It's, it's just Cyclops isn't sanctioning him anymore. It's yeah, it's definitely the same mo. They're and not going to change the ammo. Yeah. And they're not next Wolverine shouldn't be on that team. He's an Avenger. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, he can't be killing people in one book and then all, like, heroic in his yellow and blue in another book. But it's a secret. Maybe they should have named the secret X-Men. Instead of oh, the God. <laughs> instead of the Uncanny X-Force? Because that's now yeah. the book now. Uncanny all right, X-Men. now, after, after reading this, after reading... Uh, second coming number two. True or false, Victor Gishler's X-Men is going to have nothing to do with what the rest of the books are doing. True. It's not. I don't. I, I think it's going to be uh, its own separate thing, for at least for a while. That's, Which, well, that's uh-huh. relief. I think the other books might be tied in a little closely together, but I think the, the Gishler run is going to be separate. And I can honestly say I'll probably – I like the first issue for the Gishler book. I probably will pick up the Gishler book, but I probably won't pick up the rest of the X-Titles. I'm probably going the other way around. I, after the first run of the Gishler book, it's not that it was bad. It just wasn't very good. I'm not hooked for the vampire story. But after the uh, – well, after Uncanny X-Men that we'll talk about in a minute, I am all on board for Uncanny X-Men. You know, I well, think I'm probably going to pick up one X book, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait to see what the teams are, you know, definitively where the story is going. And honestly, go, which one go, is the uh, best part? Go New Mutants. You know, I'm afraid that's probably going to be the best art, and that's probably you know that you know who the team is already, and they're they're about to get into Fall of the New Mutants, and I'm totally excited. And that sounds interesting, but I just don't like that team. So I don't know, maybe. You know what? That team doesn't like you. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we move into the post Second Coming of the X Men uh, era of the X Men, Jonathan has one more Second Coming book that he read. Yes, uh, Second Coming, Revelations, Hellbound, number three, Deluxe Edition, uh, <laughs> came out. Director's Cut. And, yeah, and uh, I was really disappointed with the end. You know, basically, Gambit turns out to be the big bad guy in the story. So Not much so again. Th- Why do they need to keep taking Gambit down the bad guy path? Because I like he the is. character, he is though. The bad guy. Everyone likes the character, but he's the bad guy. It's just how it is. Like, you know, it's like in Lost, like everyone liked Charlie, especially chicks, but he was still useless no matter how many people liked him <laughs> and deserved okay, that's to die. True. Yeah. So, all right. Gambit's just a bad guy. People like him, but he's just a bad guy. So, yeah, uh, Gambit's the big bad guy at the end, so much so that the demon that was holding Ilyana there teams up with the X-Men to fight Gambit. Pixie ends up stabbing him through the through the back with her sword but at the end of the book he's still alive and is coming home with them and it's just like well now now that that's over <laughs> like like i was just like really no one died everyone comes back from this seriously i have to say if you would have just told me that pixie was the one to take gambit out and actually kill him i would have been ranting for the next 10 minutes about such a worthless throw-off character being the one no, to actually no, no, take no, Gambit no. out. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, out of all the new X-Men, I, I would say that, that Pixie's 
the most interesting. That's uh, not saying much, though. Yeah, but but it is because because of her interactions with people like uh, Ilyana, like she she is a more interesting character. And but I think even better would have been if she would have killed Ilyana because there's a point in the book where where she's going to kill Ilyana, and Ilyana tells her that she needs to do it. Like she's like, "Kill me, take the rest of your soul back. I'm not a good person." You know, you know, she pretty much tells her like, like I would kill you and all of your friends if given the chance. Like, and Pixie decides not to kill her, and I'm just like, eh, no matter how much of a hero I am, I think when somebody tells me like, when somebody asks me to kill them because they're gonna do bad things to me in the future, I'm gonna have to comply. You know, saying Pixie's the best ex- new X Men, like saying she's the most polished herd, though. <laughs> I'm just the not. I'm not down with that. Heard. I I I don't think Pixie's going away. I think the rest of the new X Men will die before, but Pixie will stick around. She's part of the X Men now. Yeah, and she's on. The, she's in the Gisler book. So. Yep. She Which stay there. You know, but uh, yeah, so my my biggest disappointment was that everyone made it back. No one died, even against all odds. Uh, they really weren't in any danger because apparently you can get stabbed through the chest and you know you're just like oh well I'm all better now let's get well, out duh. of here that happens to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 it with that what happened in uh, Uncanny X Men Heroic Age Tim Wayne you didn't get that one either man your shop sucks worse than mine <laughs> you got nothing this week no Daredevil no uh, Second Coming no Uncanny X Men well, to be fair, I didn't. I didn't request the Daredevil, and I chose not to pick up this book. So tell me why I was wrong. Uh, I can't tell you you're wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask a super quick question. Who's the character with the cat on her head? That's Princess Power from the Runaways. Oh, no wonder I don't know. Okay, I have on. no idea Actually, who it is. I just know the name now. The Runaways was actually the first. If you get the first trade, maybe the second trade. They were. It was a really good title. They have. Uh, it's kind of like Young Avengers, where they don't really do anything with them unless there's a big event that they can throw them into now. But the team is actually very interesting. It's a good concept. But her character here was very poorly done, and she's my least favorite character of that run. Okay, so let's set this up. There's three distinct stories. Um, there's a story that that's tied around Cyclops. There's a story that's tied around Beast, and there's a story that's tied around Hope. With to three me, different creative teams, continuing yeah. my bitch about creative teams. No, I. Was, this book was the second worst art of the week for me. The whole every scene with Beast, where his face is elongated. Oh God. It's okay, painful. I thought we were gonna, I thought we were going to start with the good stuff, but let, let's talk about this. I didn't think there was a beast that was drawn that would make me think that Cat Beast was all right, but this <laughs> was like if you watch Lady and the Tramp, you know the Scotty dog. Well, paint it blue and then put it on a professional wrestler and give him like a blue gorilla suit, and that's what Beast. <laughs> <looked like. laughs> well, and what's worse is three pages before that, there's a different artist who draws a beast that's okay. It's so you I, have it's Cat Beast. It's I, yeah, you have Cat Beast, which none of us like. No. And then you turn it, and here's this elongated face beast. It's Scotty Beast. Ugh. <laughs> no, uh-huh. uh, but 
uh, to me, I, I really like the Cyclops story. Um, Cyclops. Um, I really hated uh, the Cyclops story too. So I'll let no, you go. I liked it. it. I liked it. So okay. So Cyclops decides he needs to go blow off some steam. So he goes dinosaur hunting in the Savage Lands, which you know it's kind of weird, but whatever. And Steve Rogers shows up, and they start having a discussion about you know leadership and all that. And I thought that was a cool story. Here's um, my take on it: Cyclops is has been such a flat character. Now we need to see an emotional outburst. So let's send him to the Savage Lands so he can hunt endangered species that are extinct everywhere else on the planet. You know, slicing through them with his optic blast, killing you know a species that is on the verge of extinction at this point. Just so at the last minute, Cap can show up and kill another one with a bow and arrow. So they can have a heart-to-heart. They're Americans, that's why. Well, I didn't know you were a member of PETA, Wayne, but I, I really like that story. <laughs> um, now, did they, did, they, uh, did they talk at all about how Captain America's on Mars right now? <laughs> Way too much continuity for us here, Jonathan. <laughs> No, he's in the Savage Land. He's not on Mars right now. <laughs> what not was he this doing title. in the Savage Land? He's there he to was, see Cyclops. Yeah, he's there to oh, talk okay. about Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I and, know they address I, how, I, and they address how he knows that he's in the Savage Land. That's that's fine. Um, and then the, the, beast, uh, the B story, yeah, that was pretty awful. It's a conversation between... Power Princess from Runaways, which is the worst code name ever, and Beast about the mut- basically about mutants going extinct. Uh, the fact that there's five new ones, but that's not enough for the species, and they're all going to go extinct. And she has a temper tantrum and punches them and runs away, and then they have to have this whole heartfelt conversation about, it's not important we're going to go extinct, it's important what you do with your life. Drivel. Uh. And then the hope story was kind of that was the in between for me. I thought that was mediocre. Basically, the hope story the ho- for me was the shining part of the book. All right, well you go first then. All right, so the hope goes to the Fantastic Four and they do all these experiments on her, which was that was the okay part of the book for me. I kind of like seeing Franklin there. I kind of like that this this does fit in with like what we're seeing in Fantastic Four. It's not a different take. But what got me excited was at the at the end of this, they're talking about what they're going to do next. And Hope decides she wants to go to Alaska to search for her family. I like this setup. I like that Cyclops asked her, I want you to go look for these five new mutants. She's like, no, I'm going to Alaska. And he finally does agree to just let her go to Alaska. That He has a, the first heartfelt conversation that they've actually had where they're on the same page. And he understands where she's coming from. And it sets up what we're going to see in Uncanny X-Men starting with 526, and that's Hope searching for her past. And I'm excited about that story. I think it's going to turn out really well, I hope. I think that story would have been much better if Franklin and Hope had snuck away and maybe like rode bikes around New York City for a couple pages. You know, because they're doing the test, and Franklin sneaks in. And he's like, "Hey, my dad's kind of a kind of a kind of a clown." You know, how are you? And he realizes that she has no concept whatsoever. And he's like, "Oh, you're one of those people." <laughs> so it would have been really nice to like see them go get ice cream or something. As, yeah, like a I have to say, beat. I I agree with you. I was disappointed by that. After they have the conversation, he jumps away, and I'm like, "Okay, he's jumping away to do something." In a couple pages, we're going to see something really cool from Franklin, and 
We don't. We don't see him again in the entire book. So uh, he went. I, he went to the uh, Savage Land to have a heartfelt conversation with Cyclops. <laughs> you I, know, actually, I Jonathan, know. I just realized glancing through this that we didn't touch on something else that happened in Second Coming Number Two. Cyclops gives Rogue a uh, basically yells at her for letting Hope get involved in the fight and benches her. Yep, you're off the combat roster. She's like, well, I was I was off the combat roster when all the Sentinels showed up too, but I didn't sit on my thumb, so it's like whatever. <laughs> this yeah, book, whatever. This, I think this book was 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 okay. It was it was kind of a middle of the road book. I think if it, Scotty Beast hadn't been in here, I would have I would be okay saying that this was decent. But yeah, I wish they would have had a different story. I didn't. The art on the Scotty Beast was horrible, Ugh. and I didn't like that whole conversation with her. I mean, we didn't need a member of Power Pack. Uh, Power Pack, just about as bad. We didn't need a member of the Runaways to show up and have this conversation here. It just, it was a bad decision. Speaking of bad decisions, Avengers <laughs> Academy Two came out. Not a bad decision. Not a bad decision. This book was awesome. My book of the week, right here. Wow. I have to say the same, and I was shocked by it because the first issue, I wasn't, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't hooked. This issue, we see a focus on just one character, and they've made me really like this character. Oh, she's awesome, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, they're hinting that she might be, uh, uh, might be Taskmaster's daughter. We don't yes. know for sure, and um, we the, keep the saying she because I can't remember the character's name. It, her name is Finesse. That's right. Yeah. Uh, basically, she has uh, Taskmaster's power of uh, she can see somebody do something and master that skill. Uh, she and she mentions that uh, she's got no mutant. She's not a mutant. Um, she they can't has find no any idea. traces of superhuman powers in her at all, other than she can just do this stuff. Right. Uh, and it she's very alienated from the team because it goes into like how she can't she can't really relate with other people that's the the one mystery that the one thing that she can't understand like she can do (laughs) physics and all this stuff but but uh human emotions and things like that yeah she can understand them she can duplicate anything anyone else can do she can learn what they can do you know anything they can physically do as well as she can remember everything she's ever read, but for some reason social skills are the one thing that she can't duplicate. That sounds like a tagline for a romantic comedy. She could remember everything except how to feel. <laughs> Avengers Academy. I, I just I thought I thought her interactions were really good. Just all the way around. This is one of those issues like I used to really like that. Claremont would do with the X-Men where you'd take a character and really get into their head and, and you know give the character a little progression. Yeah, and I love the interplay with Quicksilver here. Like I am yes. not a fan of Quicksilver's character at all, and they're feeding these kids the line that Quicksilver when he did all the bad things about creating the war between the Inhumans and Earth, they're feeding everyone the line that this was a scroll, and she right. just walks in and calls him on it. There's no scroll. This was you. Scrolls aren't affected by the Terragon Mist. You got your powers back by it. Yep. And wow. uh, that sounds kind of good. And, it well, was. and the uh, the at the very end, she revealed 
you know, she pretty much blackmails Quicksilver into teaching her what Magneto taught him. And that's that's the to be continued cliffhanger. So I I think that's I'm I'm in on this series, man. Like issue two was better than issue one and Yeah. I I, I, I think they're probably really, going to focus like on a different character for a while. I think they're going to do probably an, these this kind of story where it gets inside of the heads of one of the characters. I think they're going to do that for most of the characters throughout the first uh, first twelve issues or so. I think make it's a great idea. All of I, like I said, that's that's a technique that that Claremont did quite a bit uh, back in the in the X Men days and the New Mutant days, and I think that's I think it's a great technique. It does. It makes you feel like you're reading something important to the history of a character rather than just what we read. Yeah, and when you do that, if they decide to kill a character after the first big arc, that means more to you because you've actually invested in it. Right. Yeah. Well, and uh, keep an eye out on the site for those who do like Avengers Academy. We are um, posting our Christos Gage interview sometime soon uh, where we talk about Avengers Academy. See, I should have been in on that interview. See, I wasn't on that interview. Yeah, well, but at the time, did you like Avengers Academy? It wasn't out yet. Oh, okay. exactly. This oh, okay. Was done... So everyone had an open. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember, I liked. Uh, I did like Avengers: The Initiative, and we were talking to him about that as well. Okay. <laughs> good. So. I read Amazing Spider-Man six thirty-seven this week, which we're is sorry. Just- Paul, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. This is the longest run I've had on Amazing Spider-Man since Brand New Day started. Four issues in a row. Um, the Grim Hunt storyline, written by Joe Kelly, with art by a variety of artists, um, Michael Lark. And I remember reading the preview of it and not being all that interested based on the preview, uh, the free preview that was given out. I loved storyline if it wasn't for our indie spotlight coming up here in a couple minutes this would have been my book of the week loved this issue basically um craven's family his wife his daughter um his two his son and his brother uh the chameleon um are bringing craven back to life by killing um, but their goal is to kill Spider-Man and use his blood to bring Craven back to life. But who they end up killing is Kane, the, the clone of Spider-Man um, from the Clone Saga. So Kane is dead. Just putting. I just, like Kane. Yeah, I don't well, like that he's dead. Yeah. Well, uh, I won't ruin the end of the good book. But um, so you can't. I, I won't read it. Yeah, that's true. Well, he 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 comes back to life as a character called the Tarantula. So I'm not entirely sure what what that entails but uh this was a very very dark series um dark uh, storyline i think they tried to make it as dark as the craven's last hunt storyline and it succeeded it was very dark it was very gritty not heroic age stuff at all um Sp- you know they, they basically you know they they piss spider-man off i mean they, they take his friends including aranya uh, the Spider Girl. You know, they torture them. They've killed a couple of them, and he basically goes off the deep end. And he uses his sticky hands, his spider hands or whatever, and he puts them on Craven's wife's face, and he pulls off her face. No, <laughs> I mean that's not wow. very heroic, agey. 
<laughs> no, uh, he 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 goes off the deep end. I mean, like I said, he he yanks off her face. There's a big hand shaped piece on her face that doesn't have skin now. Um, well, it doesn't matter because Craven kills her at the end of the book. Um, but this was a damn good storyline. A very dark. Uh, but you know, if, if this is you know what Brand New Day was building up to, then um, you know I won't say Brand New Day was worth it, but at least it ended well because this was awesome. And I know uh, starting next week is the One Moment in Time storyline, which uh, kind of is a I guess wraps everything up. But uh, I, I really really enjoyed the last hunt. And uh, I, I, th- I would definitely recommend picking it up in trade, or if you can find the four issues, you know, pick it up. It brings Craven back, um, kills off a bunch of characters, and you know, it, it's a darker Spider-Man story than I've seen in a while. And I know that's not typical Spider-Man, but some of my favorite Spider-Man storylines are the darker ones, like Craven's Last Hunt, um, and, and this felt very much in that same feel. And uh, I, I really, really dug it. So, so are you on board for one moment in time? I'm on board for the first issue of One Moment in Time. Um, I know if it, if it sucks, I'm definitely going to try again after One Moment in Time. Uh, there's a storyline called Survival of the Fittest that Mark Wade is writing, um, and I'm, I'm very interested in that. So I'll but, be on board uh, for I probably do the same. I think I'll pick up the first issue of One Moment in Time to give it a, ch- a chance. Definitely when Mark Wade comes over, I really enjoy his writing, so I will give that a chance too. Yeah, but Grim Hunt was definitely good. And I, like I said, I haven't been reading um, Spider-Man, but you don't see much of the supporting cast in here, uh, which I mentioned a couple weeks ago is kind of what bugs me is this, the way the, the new Spider-Man universe is set up with his characters and his roommates and stuff like that. And you really don't see them in this storyline. So I, I got to just enjoy a good Spider-Man versus Kraven and his family story. Now, I also picked up this week Gorilla Man number one. Um, first issue of a limited series featuring the character from Agents of Atlas, and uh, sadly they announced that Atlas, uh, with which I, Jonathan and I both dropped, is actually ending with issue number five because of poor sales, probably because <laughs> Jonathan <and I> dropped it. <laughs> um, but uh, Gorilla Man number one came out this week, and Aaron and I read it. So, what'd you think, Aaron? I dug this book. I, I thought this book was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Uh, there's just nothing better than, you know, the gorilla running around shooting folks. Um, this was actually more along the lines of what I kind of expected hit monkey to be like, this was just a whole lot of fun. Uh, it was, it was played, it was played for laughs. Um, it's a lot of adventure. I, I really enjoyed this book and I like Ken Hale, you know, I, I, I enjoy that character and Jeff Parker's got a good handle on these characters. He's, he's voiced them. Well, there is kind of a, uh, there's something of an atomic robo feel to this book. I don't know if you got that or not, but a little bit, a little yeah. bit. It, it's just that that it's it's the style of the artwork and the type of the story it's telling. I, I just I, I really dug it. I dug this book a lot. Yeah, I, I didn't even mind the reprint in the back of the book. Yeah, I mean, I it was only a couple of pages, so it's not like you paid extra just for you know. It's only like a six page reprint, right? You know, it's it is an extra sized issue, so I didn't mind it so much either. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a good book, and I think you know, um, with Atlas ending, I think Gorilla Man is is will probably continue. 
Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I would I would venture to say we might see a couple of Gorilla Man miniseries, something like Atomic Robo or something to that effect cuz he's that type of character. Well, and I enjoyed him standing on his own so much and and one of the things that I I kind of observed as I was reading this is that I could easily see uh, an animated feature on this or even a live action feature with just Gorilla Man pulled completely out of Atlas. Because mm-hmm. you know Ken Hale's just that cool, and I love the 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 story of his character that if you kill the Gorilla Man, you become the Gorilla Man. You know, I yeah. I love that about this guy, and that you know otherwise he's immortal. You know, yeah, and you I, get the you know you get the glimpses into his past, and uh-huh. you know, the good it was good, it was a good start. Yeah, and I do think that I, I thought that one panel was a little interesting where he puts on the little holographic bracelet, which makes him look human when he's walking around, mm-hmm. and you know there was that brief moment where he. Uh, uh, flips into uh, you know Bob's uh, yeah. image, and he's like, "Huh? Why did he leave a Bob setting on this?" I think that's going to come up elsewhere. Uh, that's possible. Yeah. So because maybe good- Bob doesn't look like Bob looks. That's what ah. I. Mean. Yeah. Which you know, if for regular readers of Atlas who have seen how Bob eats, yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. So yeah. I enjoyed it. Good, yeah, good stuff. Good I start did. to the miniseries. So, and the art was very good. Yes, I, I want to put that out there. The art by uh, I don't know Giancarlo Carus Caracuso. Caracuso. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and you guys got me really curious about the whole Bob thing because you know that's the only thing that might have kept me in Atlas was the uh, 3D man mentioned that the Bob has something. a secret. Yeah, and I was just like, wow. This is the only interesting thing going on. <laughs> Anything that delves into that, I'm really interested in. Well, you know what? There's only three more issues for you to buy, so uh, I'm sure it'll be resolved in those three issues. I like secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big so, thumbs up on Gorilla Man. Pick that mother up. Absolutely. Well, in our Indie Spotlight this week, we only have one book, um, but it is my book of the week. Um and now I've talked about this before because I picked up a, a convention exclusive edition that was signed by the uh, writer artist. This week, the man with the getaway face came out um, from IDW. It is an oversized eight inches by twelve inches book, um, longer than twenty two pages as well. I think it's probably you know thirty two. Um, fully written and drawn by Darwin Cook, and it's a prequel to an upcoming um, adaptation of Richard Stark's uh, The Outfit. Um, which is a, like a, a crime novel. It's uh, it's kind of black and white uh, with sepia tones. It was only two dollars, uh, and like I said, I've talked about this book before, so I won't go into too much detail. It's just great crime fiction, and this book was absolutely stellar. And at only two bucks, y- you really shouldn't pass this up because it is an excellent, excellent book. Great read, great art. Everything about this book is fantastic. Highly recommend it. And I'm the only one who picked it up. <laughs> and speaking speaking of our indie spotlight, uh, a book came out. It was uh, Superman uh, 701. Um, I'd never heard of this title. Uh, I know yeah. Paul, Aaron, and, and Wayne got it. You know, what it's you a little – it's a little, you know, indie studio art house imprint, a little thing called Superman. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't surprise me that you've not heard of it. Is, it, is this you just know, a, the a character, limited run? Or? Yeah, this is yeah. A, it's kind of an ash can edition. You I know, hear I, the character might be licensed for a movie or something. Well, you know, it's still very early. 
you know, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I heard they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, that Bushimi guy playing Superman. So, uh. <laughs> Or Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Buscemi. Nick Cage, but I do like Bushemi. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, Superman 701 uh, is the official beginning of the uh, grounded storyline. We saw kind of the zero issue story in Superman 700. And we all kind of came out of that that uh, that zero story as you know not real sold on where this was going. So I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say after having read a full issue of Grounded. I guess I'll go first. Um, I okay. Start with the good. I liked the issue. Mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy this issue. It felt more like a series of vignettes. Yeah. Just a yeah. series of little little Superman pages, mm-hmm. little Superman tales um, that pieced together and just happened to take place in the same city, even though they didn't tech- technically need to. Um, but you know, overall, I thought it was a good book. As far as twelve issues of this, I don't <laughs> know if I can. I don't know if I could take twelve issues of this type of stuff. Um, and I'll go into my biggest problem here in a minute. But uh, I want to get your your opinion on it, uh, Wayne. Honestly, your opinion is pretty close to mine. I really don't like the concept of this walking across the country, and I was shocked by how much I really enjoyed this issue. They had, uh, you know, like you said, it's like a bunch of little vignettes. I don't know that I could do this for a whole storyline if it continues. I really like that they're, you see the awe of Superman in these characters. As he's walking around, he just walks up and is in a situation, and people are just falling all over themselves because this is Superman. That's something I don't think we've seen about the character in a while now. And I really enjoy that they're giving him a bit of an attitude. Not like a bad attitude, but you know, someone calls him a liar and says, you know, I don't believe you can fly. So he takes him, he's like, would you like to say that 10,000 feet up in the air? He grabs him, flies him up 10,000 feet up in the air, and then brings him back down. Yeah, but you know, speaking on Superman's dickiness in this issue. (laughs) Well, Superman is a dick. So, he is, because, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Lois Lane shows up after he's already started his walk saying, I got your call. <laughs> so he told her, he told his wife via voicemail, hey, I'm going to walk cross country. I'll be home in a year. Yeah, I mean, and he's she's been covering for him all this time anyway. Well, he's been on New Krypton, and now he's just making her do it again. I, I had issues with that, too. Aaron, what'd you think? You know, I, I like you guys, I wasn't expecting to like it, and I liked it rather a lot. Um, and let, let's go ahead and give props where props are due. The uh, Eddie Barrow's artwork is really very pretty in this book. Uh, See? That's where I was going to argue with you. Well, uh, I'm, I, I hadn't well, planned on arguing with you. Don't bother arguing <laughs> with me, because you're wrong. Um <laughs> I, I, I really dug the artwork. I dug the colors. Um, and I want to – before I can I, I, I continue on, I do want to call out something uh, that folks were bitching about on Twitter earlier in the week. Superman orders a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. And apparently if you live in Philadelphia, it's just a Philly cheesesteak. It's not a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. And everyone's like, well, you know, if you really want to be authentic, it's Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Superman should have known better. I'm sorry. Superman doesn't live in Philadelphia. Exactly. He's in Metropolis. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, I don't live in Philadelphia, and I probably would have ordered a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Yeah, but Superman's well-traveled, and he's 
like I've never lived in Philadelphia, but I know it's just a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, well, I'm just saying that he's supposed uh, to be some sort of genius or whatever, even though he's just big, dumb, and strong. If you ask me, <laughs> you know what I found really amusing by this story is that he keeps talking about how the reporters are going to quit following him because how boring is it to follow a man just walking across? Didn't the he country? ever watch Forrest Gump? <laughs> but I mean, he's saying what we've yeah. been saying all this time about this storyline is how can a storyline where he's walking across the country like this be interesting? He has those words pretty much coming out of Superman's mouth. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed this book. I don't know how this is going to carry on for 12 issues. But the, the big issue that I had with the book is the same thing I had uh, that I had issues with on Straczynski's Babylon 5. Um Superman is preaching. There are times when Superman is, is is completely out of character when he's lecturing people. And I am so not interested in – I think know. that's in character. See, yeah, I, I, I don't I think that's Superman at all. I don't, yeah, I disagree. I'm, well, I, I mean I agree with Aaron. I disagree yeah. with – because, you know, there's this whole thing. It's you know close to the end of the book. You know, this guy's like, you know, shouldn't you be out saving the world or something? You're a hero, right? Isn't that what heroes do? Shouldn't you be off doing stuff? And Superman goes, to be a hero, and I'm not saying I am one. I'm just saying, is to live your life <laughs> in a small yeah, cell. I, whose I hated that conversation. I'll give you that. Are the principles and rules that define what you will and won't accept. Injustice, cruelty, murder. On the night they threw Henry Thoreau in jail for civil disobedience, a friend came to see him, saying, Henry, what are you doing in here? Thoreau said, no, the question is, what are you doing out there? If I'm lucky enough, privileged enough, to live in that cell, to serve in that box with the word hero written on it, then I say to you from somewhere deep inside that box, what are you doing out there? Yeah, that was completely and totally out of character. I thought you were talking more of the conversation he had with the girl on the ledge. No, I, I was fine with the girl on the ledge. Character. I was I was fine with the girl on the ledge, except when you know Superman starts talking about his friend that killed herself. You know, and, and you know what really one of the things that does bother me though is earlier in the book they keep going back on with the Superman doesn't lie thing. Yeah. Superman doesn't lie. Superman doesn't lie. I guarantee you, if we start pulling out old issues of Justice League, we're going to find examples of Superman lying. I mean, yeah. the guy's got a secret identity. Yeah. He lies to cover that exactly. up. Exactly. He lies in the middle of fight to get strategic advantage. He's a person. People lie. You can't not lie. It's part of the Superman nature of being a is person. Not a person. If he was a person, <laughs> if he was a person, then I would like him more. <laughs> Instead, he's some alien thing. He just needs to go home. Leave, leave the crime fighting to real superheroes like Batman. Okay. See, I have real issues though with that whole, you know, he's Superman. He doesn't lie thing. I don't. Yeah, I do it's too. not believable. Why is he suddenly? I mean, I know why it's suddenly because it's a new writer. But yeah. why is he suddenly going back to harping on the "I never lie" thing? I. It you doesn't know, make sense. You know that, so that that at one point in his life, Lois has has asked Clark. Do, do these jeans make me look fat? And he said no. <laughs> Superman, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure she's overcooked something once or twice, and he told her it was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, see, he needs to go the route that I go and just say things like, does it matter? Let's face it, he, he had vows you know, to be with her after he got married. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think those have to have been a lie because he spent a, all this time on New Krypton, and now he's just walking across the country. I don't think he's living up to his promises there. Yeah, 
Yes, I'm saying it. Superman's a bad husband. He is a bad husband. <laughs> he is a deadbeat husband. At least he's bad at something. Yeah. Makes him a little Le- bit more interesting. Lex Luthor wouldn't be a bad husband. He's bringing his fake Lois to space with him. Yeah, he would. He would at least care. Like you can come along, honey. I I enjoyed 701. I'm in for 702. Um, I. But again, I, I, I'm having faith that 701 was just kind of laying down the premise and that there'll be something more detailed, that it's not all going to be you know, so ham-handed uh, throughout this 12-issue run. Didn't you, know, you guys say I do, something? I do think that there's, some, there's reason to believe that. I mean the writer himself keeps having Superman talk about how boring it would be to right. just follow him across country. I think that that's – the writer getting it, him getting that this concept is not a good concept. And I'm hoping that means it's not going to last the whole storyline or we're going to see something else. But it may just be that him trying to lay out the groundwork of, yeah, it's a bad concept, but I'm going to make it But didn't you work. guys say like something important happened in this issue? No. No, he just talked a woman off of the ledge, off of a ledge. You know, it's... It, 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 I think this could work as a six-issue storyline. As a 12-issue storyline with no overarching story thread, I don't see how it's going to work. Um, and you know, if they were to put one in, I'd imagine that would kind of eliminate the point of the story. So it, it, I, I think this is going. I think he's going to be writing himself into a corner on this one. I'd so, like to see some of the we'll other show up and call him on this whole thing and just be like, "What you're doing here is stupid. This is." <laughs> this is childish. This is ridiculous. You're walking across country. You're freaking Superman. Fly. Well, and don't you think? I mean, you know, Superman's got villains. You know, he's got folks who who aren't just out there looking to rob banks. He's got folks out there who are looking to to, to harm him. It seems like he's drawing a lot of attention to these communities that he's walking through. You know, it seems to be you know asking Brainiac and Lex Luthor and whoever to hit him in small town Philadelphia. Yeah, good point. Didn't, didn't you guys say something important happens in this book? He saved a human life. That's important, Jonathan. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been more interesting if he would have ended a human life. I would have been like, whoa, I'm picking up 702. <laughs> Special twist ending. If it's the first issue of a storyline, it's setting up the storyline. And it's a it's supposed to be a character-driven story. And if it does end up being that, there's nothing wrong with nothing major happening. You know, I don't need big changes to happen, especially in a book like Superman that's had 700 issues previous to this. I'm not expecting a big change. I just want a really good story. And I was amazed at how much I actually enjoyed this story. I didn't think I was going to like it. The concept is horrible, but it's for some reason, for one issue, it worked. I just don't know that it can keep working. Whatevs. So my issue with the art, you know, I like Eddie Barrow's. And I have to admit, the, the art was good. I don't think the art necessarily fits this type of storyline, though. I, I think Eddie Barrow is suited for, you know, larger scale Superman tales and walking across country. I don't know. I'd rather see something more like what Francis Manipal did on Adventure Comics or something like a Gary Frank or a Steve Dillon. You know, I, I don't know if we need a big superhero artist to draw Superman walking across the country burning weed. His art does one thing with Superman that's very, very common that I don't care for view-wise. I don't like having that so clear-cut cape-over-the-shoulders look. It's just a personal thing for me with the look of it. On some pages, it's great where it's right up on the shoulders. I don't like having it droop all the way over the shoulders. It just it doesn't look right to me. It looks like it would 
the cape's more in the way than anything else. Yes, I having minor cape complaints. I like the way John Cassidy draws it on the cover. <laughs> oh, see, I actually hate the cover. I think the cover's pretty awesome. I think the cover sucks really? so hard. Yeah, I hate the cover. To answer your what question there, Jonathan, I like the cover. Superman walks up to a group of uh, people that are selling drugs and has a whole conversation with them and then burns all their stashes in their houses while he's talking to them. What kind of drugs? I don't know that it actually says. All? It matters, though. I think he just says I'd be drugs. having a conversation with Superman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd and be like, not- hey, Superman, do you know you just got the entire neighborhood high? <laughs> <laughs> that would not be my conversation. This is California, buddy. I have a permit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Screw you. <laughs> check that, man. Medical marijuana. <laughs> I got glaucoma, man. <laughs> okay. They do, they do say the page before. Crack, meth, and heroin. Oh, Although yeah. the oh. art does not look like crack, meth, or heroin. The art looks like it's just, you know. Oh, it, does not. it just looks like piles of pot. Ambiguous. <laughs> 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 Yeah, but overall, not a bad start. I I, I, I reserve judgment um, on <laughs> Jonathan. Does not reserve judgment. <laughs> he will give his now. <laughs> well, before we go, I want to make a quick shout out. <laughs> if you're listening to this on Monday, July nineteenth, or maybe Sunday, July eighteenth, depending on when the episode drops. I'm going to be at Local Heroes Comics for the midnight release party of Scott Pilgrim Volume 6. Woo! So if you want to come out and join me, come out and join me. There will be alcoholic cupcakes. What? Hell yeah. Oh. Alcoholic cupcakes. (laughs) (laughs) Drunken vegetables. They they might even puke on you when you try to eat them. Um... Apparently, there's some type of alcoholic filling in the cupcakes. Ah, wow! Are you what? bringing no, those yourself, or are they just are they just hosting them there? Are you bringing these yourself? No, they they are hosting them there. You know, it's not like they're going to have cupcakes, and I'm going to bring a flask and just jam it in <laughs> to a cupcake. Well, and no, I was wondering, will you, will you be giving those out to kids, Paul? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I can't I'm assuming I can kids probably won't now. be there at midnight. Superman's coming to bust that shit up. Nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to light your cupcake stash on fire. Mm. You know, you're doing the wrong thing, Paul Aponte. I look down upon you, but I'm not yeah. flying. Henry I'm looking David right Thoreau. at you. Thoreau would say, why are you eating those cupcakes? Out there. <laughs> but I'll be there. Midnight release party. Scott Pilgrim. The final volume of Scott Pilgrim. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Very exciting. And that's Norfolk, Virginia, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there since I didn't do that before. So, good show, guys. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Local Heroes is not very local. Like, it's all the way in Norfolk. (laughs) Yeah, I know. They really ought to call it out-of-town heroes. Yeah. Yeah, Paul. Vacation heroes. Talk to your guy about that. Are they really heroes? Maybe they should just be out-of-town people. Yeah, Paul. I mean, are, are they heroes? I don't know. Well, we'll let you ponder that until next week. So, we're done. Yeah. (laughs) And podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.
end this podcast right now. Red Rocket.